He's a showboat. He's a grandstander. <laughs> and you know how Donald Trump hates showboating and grandstanding. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Uh, that's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM. People powered radio in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI on Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on WLPP 102.9 FM. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. And, of course, by my side, as ever, is the delightful and lovely Desi Doyen. How are (laughs) you doing today? I am here. Uh, That's about as good as you're doing, huh? Well, you know, these days. We'll take it. Coming up, amongst all uh, all of the madness, while everyone is understandably, justifiably obsessed with the, uh, are we calling it the Tuesday night massacre yet? Trump's unprecedented firing of FBI Director James Comey amidst the Bureau's ongoing investigation of Donald Trump and his campaign. Uh, Amidst all of that, uh, the Trump administration is still looking to take away, for various ways, to take public land from the public and sell it off to fossil fuel interests in some fashion or another for drilling and mining exploitation. Uh, Even land, by the way, that is archaeologically very significant and also sacred to Native Americans. They're trying to figure out how to take that land and uh, sell it off as well. We will be joined shortly by a Carlton Bawakati and Matthew Campbell of the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition in Utah, where the Secretary of uh, the Interior, Ryan Zinke, this week is touring the Bears Ears National Monument, which was dedicated as such by President Obama late last year. It is now one of nearly 30 national monuments designated uh, by the past three presidents that Donald Trump recently signed an order to review and try to roll back somehow. That would be unprecedented as well if he was able to get away with that. Uh, So we will talk about that in a bit today. Uh, Also, we will, if time allows, have uh, Desi Doyen and our latest Green News report. I hope time allows. We'll see. Speaking (laughs) of uh, public lands, we've got a somewhat surprising action taken by some Republican U.S. senators to protect at least one aspect of public lands. 
Uh, so there's some good news there. Less good news up in Washington State, where we'll have an update on that potential nuclear disaster. Uh, that and other things as well on the Green News Report, if time. Uh, in the meantime, so much going on, so much moving so quickly. We'll see what we can get through here. Uh, acting FBI director, the new guy, the Andrew McCabe, the guy who has taken the place of James Comey since Comey was fired earlier this week. McCabe has uh, told uh, the U.S. Senate that uh, they will refrain from updating the White House about an investigation into the alleged Russian meddling into the 2016 presidential election. McCabe made that commitment while being questioned today at the U.S. Senate uh, in a hearing. He was uh, he was, of course, made acting director on Tuesday evening after the firing of James Comey. Justice Department leaders are interviewing uh, contenders for the position of the permanent director, whoever the permanent new director for the FDI, FBI will be. But uh, but speaking of Utah, uh, Utah Senator Mike Lee had a very interesting idea on how to replace Comey. Did you happen to see this? No, uh, today? I did not. All right. Uh, the Republican senator from Utah is calling for, wait for it, Judge Merrick Garland to be the new FBI director. <laughs> oh, please. You're not buying that, huh? Merrick no. Garland, of course. I don't believe he actually means it either. Well, here, maybe he does. Uh, Barack Obama's, uh, that's uh, Barack Obama's nominee to fill the vacant seat left by Antonin Scalia on the, on the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, which uh, Mitch McConnell never even granted a hearing to so that he could steal that U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, with Donald Trump's nominee, Neil Gorsuch, now Justice Neil Gorsuch. In any case, uh, Senator Mike Lee, Republican from Utah, said instead of a special prosecutor in this uh, Trump-Russia affair, Donald Trump should nominate Merrick Garland to replace James Comey. So he's saying do that instead of having a, a special counsel named by the Department of Justice. So that's that's one trade-off. Instead of an independent special counsel, you would now have Merrick Garland heading the FBI. You still look dubious, Desi Yeah, Doyen. that just doesn't seem to me like that makes any sense. Well, Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat from uh, from Minnesota, who I don't think anyone would uh, question her, her creds on this, says, good idea, Senator Mike Lee. She likes the idea. Former prosecutor Merrick Garland for FBI director is a great idea, she says. But... We need a special prosecutor, too. So she's not buying the trade-off. And ah. there would be even more of a trade-off if that happened. As Kevin Daly at uh, the Daily Caller notes, the right-wing Daily Caller, uh, currently Merrick Garland, he's the chief judge of the, uh, uh, of the D.C. District Court of Appeals. Democratic appointees have a 7-4 advantage on that court, which is widely considered the second most important court in the country, second only to the U.S. Supreme Court, because it has jurisdiction over most federal agencies. So when you sue a federal agency, it's probably going to be in uh, D.C. District Court uh, under, uh, uh, you know, under Merrick Garland's charge as the chief judge there. 
Trump's allies in conservative legal circles, however, would relish the prospect of another Republican appointee on that panel, which currently has a Democratic advantage seven to four. That would be whittled down to six to five if, in fact, Merrick Garland took up this crazy idea, if Donald Trump took up this crazy idea of nominating Merrick Garland. So I'm sure it's just a complete coincidence that Republican Senator Mike Lee suggested getting Merrick Garland off that D.C. court so that he could be FBI director. Nothing to do with it at all. You're so cynical. (laughs) You're so bitter and cynical, Desiree. What happened to you? Uh, Lawfare editor Benjamin Witties points out the uh, the the flaw in uh, in Mike Lee's plan that Garland would want to think twice. Uh, This is another flaw that for Garland himself, that he'd want to think twice before giving up a lifetime appointment which he currently has on the D.C. uh, influential D.C. Court of Appeals in order to serve a 10 year term only as FBI director, one which he notes Trump has demonstrated he is willing to abruptly cut short. (laughs) So uh, that could be a problem. In any case, as I say, this story is moving insanely quickly. Everyone else is covering it in detail. So I'm going to try to not make myself feel bad about the stuff that I don't hit here today. But a couple of a few points that I want to try to get through. Uh, Trump had said in his firing letter to James Comey that he was told three times by Comey that he was not under investigation, a claim which, at least for me, is very hard to believe uh, that uh, that that Comey would have told that to Donald Trump, told that to a potential target of an FBI investigation. But the acting director, uh, Andrew McCabe, said during that testimony today at the Senate that uh, he said that that would be very unusual He was asked about it directly. He said that's not standard practice to inform someone that they are not a target. Donald Trump himself explained the claim at least somewhat to Lester Holt of NBC News today. Uh, In one case, I called him. In one case, he called me. And did you ask him, am I under investigation? I actually asked him, yes. I said, if it's possible, would you let me know, am I under investigation? He said, you are not under investigation. That was Donald Trump's claim. Do you buy it? Bitter, uh, cynical, <laughs> Desi Doyen? cynical girl? No, I don't. You don't, huh? No, I don't. All right. Well, uh, I guess Comey will now have to directly say at some point, and I think he's scheduled to testify already. Uh, he, he was already testified to schedule, I think, next week in the U.S. House. Uh, so we'll have more on that, I'm sure. Um because it would be wildly inappropriate for Comey to do that, but wildly, uh, but Comey has done wildly inappropriate things in in recent history. So I guess we'll find out. At the same time, Jennifer Jacobs of Bloomberg News noted today that uh, Deputy White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, claimed during the White House press briefing today that she has heard from a large number of people from the FBI who are happy about Trump firing Comey. They are, by the way, just completely making stuff up about this entire affair over at the White House. But Jennifer Jacobs also noted that uh, during uh, acting FBI Director McCabe's testimony in Congress today, he said that Comey, quote, enjoyed broad support within the FBI and still does to this day. So there's a contradiction. In the meantime, acting, uh, as I said, acting FBI Director McCabe uh, had this response to Marco Rubio, um, who had asked about whether the uh, firing had affected any current ongoing investigations at the FBI. Mr. McCabe, uh, can you 
without going to the specific of any individual investigation, I think the American people want to know, has the dismissal of Mr. Comey in any way impeded, interrupted, stopped, or negatively impacted any of the work, any investigation, or any ongoing projects at the Federal Bureau of Investigations? As you know, Senator, <clears throat> the work of the men and women of the FBI continues despite any um, changes in circumstance, any decisions. Um, so there has been no effort to impede our investigation to date. Quite simply put, sir, you cannot stop the men and women of the FBI from doing the right thing, protecting the American people, and upholding the Constitution. And do you believe that one, Desi Doyen? Actually, I do. Do you? That one I am much more likely to believe. I, you know, obviously individual people have their individual proclivities, mm -hmm. but I believe overall the culture of the FBI is to, you know, adhere to the rule of law. And But whether that has changed the, uh, the investigation itself uh, into the Trump campaign, that is a question that remains to be seen. I suspect that's why Rubio was asking that question True. to try to give him that opportunity. Uh, and there are questions about McCabe uh, that we don't have time to detail now at this moment. So so we'll see, keeping our eyes on that. There has been this remarkable series of stories over the past 12 hours or so, uh, or past 24 hours, I guess, since we got off the air about what was just exactly what was going on um, inside uh, inside the White House, inside Donald Trump's brain, frankly, uh, leading up to the firing of James Comey. Uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, Politico all covered this. Um, the New York Times said in the uh, reports in the weeks that followed Comey's uh, confirmation of an investigation into uh, into the Trump campaign and potential collusion with Russia uh, before Congress last March, Trump grew angrier and began talking about firing Mr. Comey. After stewing last weekend while watching Sunday talk shows at his New Jersey golf resort, Mr. Trump decided it was time. There was, quote, something wrong with Mr. Comey, he told aides. Um, of course, uh, that is all different from the uh, initial story that the reason they fired James Comey was because of the recommendation of the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, and attorney general Jeff Sessions. Um, so, well, before I get to to that, uh, the Washington Post had this lengthy, detailed inside report uh, with some 30 sources they cite. They spoke with 30 uh, White House officials and uh, executive agency officials about all of this. And they report that Trump was angry that Comey would not support his baseless claim. That President Barack Obama had his campaign offices wiretapped. Trump was frustrated when Comey revealed in Senate testimony the breadth of the counterintelligence investigation into Russia's alleged effort to sway the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And he fumed that Comey was giving too much attention to the Russia probe and not enough attention to investigating leaks to journalists. He was just getting madder and madder, apparently. Politico. Uh, reports he had grown enraged by the Russia investigation. According to two advisors, he was frustrated by his inability to control the mushrooming narrative around Russia. He repeatedly asked aides why the Russia investigation wouldn't disappear and demanded they speak out for him. He would sometimes scream at television clips about the probe, one advisor said. Charlie Pierce at Esquire 
uh, cites these reports and says, oh, that terrible moment when you look around and the nation's elite political press is fitting you for a straitjacket and all the scapegoats have been stolen. He writes, it took the Vietnam War to destroy Lyndon Johnson. It took Watergate to make Nixon this baddie. The current president has been driven off the rails by a couple of tough episodes of Morning Joe. And there still hasn't been an actual crisis confronting him that he didn't create for himself. Charlie Pierce adds, I am not reassured by this. So we had discussed on uh, yesterday's show uh, how with constitutional law expert Ian Milheiser uh, about Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and and this excuse uh, essentially that the Trump uh, Trump administration gave that, oh, it was because of Rosenstein's recommendation that uh, Comey be fired. Well, he doesn't actually say in his recommendation whether he should uh, be fired or not, but he certainly suggests as much by uh, citing uh, Comey's uh, investigation last year into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server while she was secretary of state during the run up to the election and the things that James Comey did that, frankly, he should not have done. Uh, talking about the investigation being closed, talking about it being reopened and then closed again and so forth. So, um, you know, the question was, did Rosenstein know when he was asked, apparently, now we know he was asked by Trump to write a letter with his thoughts about what Comey did, did Rosenstein know that it was going to be used as the reason for the firing of Jim Comey? Now, Rosenstein is, had been very well respected by Republicans and Democrats alike. He had been at the Department of Justice for some 27 years. Uh, well, now in that, um, in that Washington Post report I mentioned, this is from uh, Phil Rucker, Ashley Parker, Sarah Horwitz, and Robert Costa. Uh, <clears throat> these are the folks who spoke with some 30 officials at the White House, the Justice Department, the FBI, and on Capitol Hill. Um, as well as Trump confidants and other senior Republicans, uh, they note that Rosenstein actually threatened to resign after the narrative had emerged from the White House on Tuesday, casting him as the prime mover of the decision to fire Comey, and that the president acted only on his recommendation, according to a uh, person close to the White House who spoke on the condition of anonymity to the uh, to the Washington Post. So theoretically, he was so upset about it, he was going to resign. But apparently he has not done so. Uh, so I don't know yet what to make of the report. Jonathan Carl over at ABC News, uh, who I should say is not very reliable over the he has not proven to be very reliable over the years, yet he confirms the Washington Post report says, I am told Rod Rosenstein was so upset with the White House for pinning the Comey firing on him yesterday that he was on the verge of resigning. Okay, well, so far he has not resigned, which is what he would do or should do if, in fact, he was uh, misrepresented as he is claiming, as uh, uh, Donald Trump is now claiming. But he is... Uh, <laughs> Joining, as Josh Marshall points out, I don't have time to go into the, the to the details here. 
Uh, but he says he's, you know, joining the group of people who have lost their dignity once they get close to Donald Trump. He says what Rosenstein seems to not to have realized was that Trump would blame him for the firing. To put it in mafia terms, uh, Rosenstein is saying, hey, I said I'd help you whack Carlo, but you didn't say you'd tell everyone it was my hit. <laughs> This is why he's uh, threatening to resign and why that threat to uh, Josh Marshall's ears at least rings hollow and uh, why he suspects he hasn't yet resigned. Um, so he says he can't figure out why Rosenstein took part in this. All I know is that he did and what and that uh, whatever his motivations were uh, and however it matches or mismatches his career at this point, his public rec- reputation is deservedly obliterated. Because he threw in with Donald Trump is essentially what he's saying. All right. uh, Do I have one uh, a little time for one more here? I think Um, the uh, they they can't seem to keep their story straight as far as why they actually fired Jim Comey. Apparently, it's not uh, Rosenstein, which apparently Donald Trump even admitted today, sort of kind of in that interview uh, with uh, with Lester Holt. Look, he's a showboat. He's a grandstander. The FBI has been in turmoil. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. You take a look at the FBI a year ago. It was in virtual turmoil less than a year ago. It hasn't recovered from that. Monday, you met with the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein. Right. Did you ask for a recommendation? Uh, what I did is I was going to fire Comey. My decision. It was not... You had made the decision before they came uh, in the I, room. I was going to fire Comey. Uh, I, there's no good time to do it, by the way. So he's letting Rosenstein off the hook. So why was Donald Trump going to fire Rod Rosenstein? Well, they claimed it was the, you know, the treatment of Hillary Clinton last year, which is ridiculous. Obviously, he's trying to shut down this investigation concerning Russia. Now, I've been in various uh, aspects uh, dubious about that investigation itself, at least concerning the 2016 election, Uh, if not uh, Trump's. Uh, frankly, uh, you know, Trump's undeclared relationships, not only with Russia, but other foreign countries. And yet Donald Trump wants it to go away. Donald Trump says, I haven't done anything here. I haven't done anything wrong. So what is he so concerned about that he's got to fire the FBI director? I should also uh, add that he signed an executive order to launch a commission on, quote unquote, election integrity. Oh, boy. But it's actually a, as you might expect, a voter fraud commission. It will be headed up by uh, Mike Pence. I'll have more to say on that uh, in upcoming shows, no doubt, because uh, I need to get to our guests here as as if all of this going on isn't enough. You know, when it comes to autocratically upending long held Central American values of democracy and governance. Trump is also preparing to do something else that no other president has ever attempted. The rolling back of national monument declarations by former presidents of the United States. In fact, three former presidents of the United States. Will the madness ever end? Uh, Anyway, that's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Well, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Late last month, as uh, AP reported at the time, President Donald Trump signed executive orders aimed at expanding offshore oil drilling and reviewing national monument designations made by his predecessors. The order, uh, which Trump signed at the Interior Department, could lead to the reshaping of at least 24 national monuments, including the Grand Canyon Parashant National Monument, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument and Basin, and the uh, Range National Monument, as well as a host of Pacific Ocean monuments, including the World War II Valor in the Pacific National Monument. Uh, the, the orders uh, are, could expand oil drilling in the Arctic and the Atlantic Ocean and upend public lands protections put in place in places like Utah, Maine, and elsewhere. The Antiquities Act of 1906 authorizes the President of the United States to declare federal lands of historic or scientific value to be national monuments and restrict how the lands can be used. The Antiquities Act of 1906 has been used by presidents going all the way back to Teddy Roosevelt's to set aside land for federal protection as national parks and monuments, etc. And it gives presidents the right to do so, but includes nothing about a president's ability to undo that specification by previous presidents. Trump's executive order, however, seeks a review of the use of that 111-year-old law by Presidents uh, Clinton, George W. Bush, and, of course, President Obama. President Obama had used his power under the act to permanently preserve more land and water uh, using national monument designations than any other president. The land is generally off limits to timber harvesting, mining and pipelines and commercial development. But Utah Republicans were infuriated when Obama created the Bears Ears National Monument back in December of 2016, just as he was leaving office on more than one million acres of land that is sacred to Native Americans and home to tens of thousands of archaeological sites, including ancient cliff dwellings. As Bloomberg News notes this week, Bears Ears National Monument in Utah boasts stretches of red and yellow sandstone so brilliant they appear to be ablaze and rock structures so precarious they appear to defy gravity. The rugged terrain south of the Colorado River also has reserves of oil and natural gas that are currently off limits to new leasing. Restrictions that may end as the Trump administration reviews these large-scale monuments that his predecessors have set aside for protection. As part of the review, on behalf of the administration, U.S. Interior Department Secretary Ryan Zinke is in Utah this week touring more than 1.3 million acres of Bears Ears National Monument in the southern part of the state, 
by foot, by air, and by horseback. On Monday at a press conference, Zinke said, It may not be a rescinding, it may not be an addition, but it's going to be a recommendation based on the complexity of it, whatever that may mean. No president has ever flat-out rescinded a national monument designation, but Utah leaders, according to KUTV in Salt Lake City, believe some change is in store for Bears' ears. Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican senator of Utah, said, I have a feeling it's going to be a combination of things in the end, before adding what sounded like some, let's say, very condescending words to the Native American tribes working to protect those lands. I'll get to those comments uh, momentarily. Before the uh, before that press conference, um, Zinke met with tribal leaders who supported the Bears Ears National Monument and called for a collaboration between communities. He said, we are the stewards and protectors of our greatest holdings, which is our public lands. And we're not only capable of it, we are the model, said the Interior Secretary. Um, during his confirmation hearings, it should be noted, Zinke said he would object to plans to sell off public lands. A member of a tribal coalition that met with Zinke about his review of the Bears Ears National Monument this week says the closed-door meeting was intense and left him worried, according to AP. Davis Philfred of the Navajo Nation said the one-hour meeting on Sunday in Salt Lake City wasn't enough time for the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition to make their points to Zinke. Philfred said it seemed Zinke is listening more to opponents of the monument than people who want it preserved. That, of course, includes Utah's all-GOP congressional delegation that planned Zinke's trip this week to Utah. Industry groups and Republican lawmakers have praised President Trump's order to review these national monument designations, calling it a welcome reconsideration of federal overreach, even as both environmental groups and Native Americans are concerned that Trump will scrap or scale back those designations, which are also, by the way, opposed by the Outdoor Industry Association, which is a trade association for outdoor gear retailers and outfitters. They note that outdoor recreation and tourism generates more than $880 billion in economic activity every year, and that money circulates in the very same local economies that the Trump administration and Utah Republicans apparently are citing as reason to roll back federal protections of the lands. Joining us now to discuss all of this are some of those stakeholders in the sacred tribal lands at Bears Ears, where Zinke is touring this week. Carlton Bawakahati is uh, a Zuni tribal councilman and co-chair of the Bears Ears Intertribal Council, a partnership of the Hopi, Navajo, Winta, and Uray Ute Ute Mountain Ute and Zuni governments. He's also, uh, as I said, a Zuni Pueblo councilman. Uh, he, Carlton joins us. So welcome to the broadcast, sir. How are you doing, Brad? I uh, uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak on behalf of the Bearsers Intertribal Coalition. Greatly appreciate you joining us. Also joining us today is Matthew Campbell. He is uh, a staff attorney with the Native American Rights Fund. That's a national nonprofit law firm dedicated to providing legal assistance 
to Indian uh, tribes, organizations, and individuals nationwide on matters of major importance to Indian country. Matt is also in, an enrolled member of the native village of Gamble on the St. Lawrence Island in Alaska. Matthew Campbell, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me, Brad. You bet. Uh, all right, Carlton, let me start with you. I, I mentioned the uh, the sacred native sites and the thousands of archaeological treasures uh, in Bear's ears, but fr- from your view as a tribal member there, what what do you find so special about Bear's ears, and 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 why did uh, the five tribes you're working with come together in order to protect the these lands? Well, Brad, uh, first of all, let me say Elahqua um, from the Pueblo Zuni. That means thank you. Uh, essentially, what we want to ensure that we protect is our history in the uh, southwestern region. Um, our our reservation is currently located on ancestral lands in the uh, state of New Mexico, uh, but we also have uh, ancestral lands on this, uh, in the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. So we understand the complexities behind reservation lines and jurisdictions. And in an area with uh, that's as rich in, um, in ancestral Puebloan uh, history, uh, such as the Bearsers region in Cedar Mesa, um, we believe that uh, we have connections there that will uh, strengthen our path into the future. And, and based on the, the situation, we understand that uh, normally um, my understanding of, of National Monument is that there's usually local stakeholders that are involved that um, mm-hmm. are represented at the federal level by either uh, either um, congressional representatives or uh, senators mm-hmm. or even um, local leaders, like, let's say the governor of the state of Utah, currently opposes it. In this situation, when the um, tribes that have cultural ties to the area realize that we uh, need to have a stronger voice to uh, represent the grassroots effort, we decided as, a, as tribal leaders to develop this coalition in order to be that voice for the joint effort of this protection of this area. All because, again, it's important to each of the tribes that are involved. And we understand that many more tribes may have ties to this area. Mm-hmm. However, all across um, uh, all across the, uh, this great nation of ours, we have a lot of native communities that don't have the resources to be able to address these type of issues. The uh, Utah uh, congressional delegation has portrayed the uh, granting of monument uh, protection for Bears Ears as a federal land grab that will restrict access to the region. They charged that it was undertaken without input from surrounding communities. I'm wondering how you respond to that, and, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the process that the Bears Ears Intertribal Council went through to petition for this uh, national monument status that was ultimately granted by uh, President Obama last uh, late last year. Uh, thank you for uh, the opportunity to speak to that. The um, Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition did meet with Secretary Zinke um, after a press release the coalition held in uh, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, last week. And the response from the secretary was to organize a meeting with the coalition leaders while he was doing the review of the Bears National Monument along mm-hmm. with other national monuments. What he stated in, uh, recently in the press release is absolutely true. He stated that this is not a federal land grab, but these were federal lands, federal public lands before the monument, and after the determination of whether or not the National Monument should be rescinded or not, and which, of course, we vehemently oppose and we are prepared to defend it uh, based on the fact that the tribes are stakeholders in this National Monument. But, but again, uh, his statement said whether or not there's a National Monument, 
these will be federal public lands afterwards. So the fact that there's a federal land grab is, is an entirely miseducated misnomer, again, because these were public lands, federal public lands before, mm-hmm. and they will continue to remain so unless they're either sold or transferred. But again, if, if it's in the Secretary's mind not to recommend any sale of federal public, federal public lands, then we support that. And in this situation, we went to ensure that the Secretary of Interior, uh, Ryan Zinke, understood is that the, in, the reasons why the coalitions were stakeholders in this and the fact that we weren't getting tribal input, we believe was will create an educational imbalance. We respect that the Secretary has uh, immense pressure to complete this within a short amount of time frame, but the, um, the fact that the, the coalition reached out and was able to secure a meeting um, speaks to uh, I guess to me, speak to his values as an uh, as a former Navy SEAL and, and as a public servant is that he's willing to be educated from all different sides in order to make an educated um, uh, review. Matthew uh, Campbell, uh, Trump, uh, we, as we're talking about uh, uh, the, this idea that this was a federal land grab, that's what Trump has called it. Uh, he called it an uh, outrageous abuse of power. Uh, in fact, that uh, Obama and George W. Bush and Bill Clinton made these various uh, national monument declarations. Uh, but as uh, Carlton says, these were already federal lands. Um, so uh, the idea that this was a federal land grab seems somewhat absurd. But what is the legal distinction? What is the difference uh, between a national monument status and whatever these lands were prior, even though they were uh, still at that point controlled and presumably protected uh, by the federal government? Can you speak to the difference uh, in the in the federal designation of these lands and what it is that these uh uh, I guess the Republican delegation in Utah is 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 trying to roll back. Sure, Brad, and I just want to add to what Carlton was saying. I think, um, as as he was saying, the coalition has been working since at least 2011 mm-hmm. to try and get this monument status designated for Bears Ears. They've been working with local community members in San Juan County and all across southern Utah. So to say that they're looking for public input and that this was a land grab and overreach and, and that the public wasn't um, consulted on this is, is just not accurate. Um, what this really is about is, is taking away public lands from the American people to free them up for resource exploitation. And, and the tribes, like Carlton mentioned, view this area as very important. And, and it was federal land before, like you said, there were a lot of the land was Forest Service land and some of the land was Bureau of Land Management land. So this area was federal land before, and what the Antiquities Act provides is it allows for the president, and in this case President Obama, to reserve por- portions of land to protect historic landmarks, historic and prehistoric structures, and other objects of historic and scientific interest, like you mentioned. And so with that designation or proclamation of the monument status comes greater protections for those objects. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of, of artifacts and archaeological sites and landmarks and, and objects of historic and scientific interest within all the regions of Bears Ears. 
uh, Carlton uh, had well, Carlton had written a uh, an op-ed. Uh, I think it was last month or uh, February. I think in the uh, Deseret News. Uh, and he said that the monument is, quote, broadly supported by our five tribes, by more than 25 other south, uh, southwestern tribes, and by more than 250 additional tribes of the National Congress of American Indians, and that more than 224,000 American citizens signed protections uh, in support of President Obama's actions, and many of our tribal members uh, in San Juan County support Bears Ears as well. So, uh, Matthew, or, or perhaps Carlton, I don't know who's best to speak to this, uh, who is the opposition here? As I, Aside from the fossil fuel industry and the Republican congressional delegation, I understand that there are, in fact, some tribal members uh, who actually oppose this designation as well? Um, uh, I'd like to speak to that a little bit. Um, it's Carlton. You know, Go ahead. When, yeah. when we speak um, about support for this from from actual sovereign tribal governments, there hasn't been any uh, rescinding of support for the Bears Ears National Monument. The Bears Ears tri- uh, Intertribal Coalition, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of work hand in hand in the development of this uh, national monument, uh, along with uh, the uh, um, President Obama's administration. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, Utah. Legislators have continually pointed out that a lot of the local tribal leaders, in a sense, and, I, and in a sense, I'm putting leaders in the quotation mark because um, Rebecca Benalla is a San Juan County Commissioner. She mm-hmm. is a tribal member. However, she is not the voice of the Navajo Nation government. She has, and individual members of our of our tribes, mm-hmm. of course, have their own opinion on what um, the focus of the tribal government should be. I have to answer this to those same people. But in essence, even though individual tribal members may oppose certain stances of each tribal government, unless that tribal government changes their position or changes the support through whatever official action, that tribal government is still in support. Is that's, so that's the point we're trying to get across, is that, of course, we're not going to restrict our or censure our tribal members' um, First Amendment rights. They still have the right to their own opinion. However, again, the opinion may not reflect the position of the sovereign government. And would you so the the sovereign government uh, overwhelmingly at this point supports uh, and the members of this coalition uh, support retaining the national monument status uh, for Bears Ears? Absolutely, because again, um, if you look at the language of the uh, proclamation, mm-hmm. uh, one of the key elements we believe in there um, is, is essential to the creation of the monument and the creation of uh, a tribal um, uh, commission that would um, assist the uh, federal agencies in the management of this uh, area. And I don't mean that the tribes would make a recommendation and then expect to manage it. What we're saying is that we will provide uh, more than consultation role. We would help uh, develop and identify projects that would uh, be beneficial to the park but at the same time respect tribal views. And, this and in is the language of the proclamation, it yeah. states that um, traditional cultural knowledge is a scientific object worthy of protection. That is an immense language because, again, I believe a lot of tribes have been trying to evolve the thought of how do we put cultural values, mm-hmm. uh, how do we give cultural value a scientific value in order for um, the, I guess, the federal government to understand. 
And this uh, this designation, particularly on Bears Ears, uh, it will not be managed by the National Park Service, as I understand it. Uh, this is something. Uh, this is a different sort of designation, uh, Carlton. The way this will be run, it will actually be run by a. Well, explain how if it's not run by the National Park Service, who is going to be overseeing and protecting these 1.3 million acres of land in Utah? Well, in, in this situation, the the federal agencies that manage this land before is the uh, Utah, uh, I'm sorry, the United States Forest Service, mm-hmm. as well as the um, uh, Utah Department, uh, the Utah, uh, the Utah region of the Bureau of Land Management. Those mm-hmm. are both federal agencies that have managed these lands and have that stewardship responsibility. Mm-hmm. They will continue to manage these lands. Um, what the tribal commission will do, and there will also be a non-tribal advisory committee mm-hmm. that will also provide an opportunity for community voices to be heard. We believe that the proper um, proper chance would be for all these entities to work together, and again for the, for the education and management, and what we believe is is a good vision for the national uh, Bearsers National Monument that would create economic development that's uh, that's culturally sensitive but at the same time, conservation-friendly. Matthew, uh, who, is, uh, who is leading this mo- leading this movement from the uh, Utah congressional delegation? Is it, is it Senator Orrin Hatch who is behind this and now threatening to block funding to protect the monument? Yes, Brad. My understanding is that uh, Senator Hatch is one of the leaders pushing for the rescission of Bears Ears National Monument as well as others. And, and essentially what they're saying is that there was no public input. But again... You know, the tribes have been working with this uh, communities for several years, and I believe Sally Jewell even noted that um, the Obama administration reached out to the Utah delegation and advised them that if, if protections aren't put in place, then, then we'll utilize the Antiquities Act at least a couple years ago. So I think the delegation knew for several years this was coming down the line. Um, but they just don't like the result. Sally Jewell, of course, the uh, former Interior Secretary under President Obama, current Interior Secretary Ryan Zink, calls himself a Teddy Roosevelt Republican, claims to support uh, protecting public lands. He's been in Utah, as I noted this week, on a what he describes as a listening tour to gather local opinions about all of this. During a press conference that he held this week, uh, Utah Senator, uh, Republican Senator Orrin Hatch, uh, according to the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, had claimed that tribal supporters were being manipulated by the far left. And then he went on, uh, well, l- l- let me just play this uh, short clip and, and I'll get both of your thoughts on it. Here's uh, Senator Orrin Hatch earlier this week. The Indians, they don't fully understand that the, a lot of the things that they currently take for granted on on those lands, uh, they won't be able to do uh, if if it's made clearly into a a monument or or, <coughs> or wilderness. Okay, uh, Matthew Campbell, you're uh, <laughs> you uh, you clearly don't understand uh, how uh, <laughs> what Orrin Hatch understands. Uh, what is your response? I know the tribal leaders uh, have demanded an apology for some of those comments, uh, which which seem a bit like white man splaining to me. But uh, what is what is your response to Hatch's comments there? Well, yeah, I find them extremely offensive. I, you know, the tribes and the tribal coalition were the, the ones that led this charge to get Bears Ears National Monument designated to protect the medicines within the area, to protect the, 
the cultural sites, the trails, the kivas, ancient kivas and buildings that are all within this area, as well as their ceremonial grounds that are found within this area. So they led this charge. They knew exactly what they were doing. And so it, it kind of harkens back to the 1950s when, when you know, we're, we have to look to others to tell us what, what we know and what we don't know. And, and so, yeah, again, I think it is offensive. Carlton Bauer, Kahati, do you have any uh, response to uh, Hatch's comment there, or Senator Hatch's comments there? Well, the, um, I'm going to go back to, you know, the, the beginnings of the Zuni tribal government is the fact that we believe we've succeeded because we've always felt that goodwill, ambassadorship, and education about uh, certain things that are important to the Pueblo Zuni and its community members, um, we will continue that dialogue. We believe that if um, Senator Orrin Hatch were to given accepted our the opportunity to speak with tribal leaders, he will find that we are all um, driven to uh, protect our people, mm-hmm. protect our interests in in ways that are creative. We've had to be creative mainly because. Um, you know, with the trust responsibility that the United States has had, we haven't always felt that they fulfilled that trust responsibility correctly. So in a, in a way, we've always kind of been evolving in order to be able to meet tribal needs, not just the right way, not, 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 just, not just in a way that's correct, that, the, that people are, understand that the tribal government is, is representing and protecting them in a way that they agree with. And finally, uh, Matthew, uh, this uh, the Antiquities Act of 1906, which apparently Donald Trump just learned about. He was uh, stunned when he, he found out that there was a 100-year-old act being used for these designations, uh, this act going all the way back to Teddy Roosevelt. Um, presidents have the right to uh, specify federal lands as national parks and monuments under this, but that act includes nothing about a president's ability to undo that specification. So do you have any idea under what legal authority the president is considering rolling back the national monument status uh, at this point, and uh, what do you guys intend to do legally uh, in the event that uh, that he does so? Well, I'm not sure legal authority is, you know, the standard that the president goes by. But I think I agree with you that the Antiquities Act authorizes presidents to declare national monuments and reserve land. It doesn't authorize them to modify um, proclamations or rescind or revoke them. And so the, the, the language of the statute's clear, and, um, and we, look, you know, we look forward to educating Secretary Zinke and, and hoping that in the end he recommends maintaining the entire monument the way it is and if not we will talk about our options moving forward at that point very good i will look forward to those options when uh well when and if this administration takes action matthew campbell he is a staff attorney at the native american rights fund you can get more information on their work at narf.org that's n-a-r-f.org and carlton bawakahati I think I said that right this time. Uh, he is, of course, the co-chair of the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition and, the, and a Zuni Pueblo councilman. You can find more information on the Bears Ears Coalition at bearsearscoalition.org. I want to say alakwaha, if I said that right, to say thank you to both of you uh, for joining us today on the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Good uh, luck. Yes. Alakwa. Alakwa. And, uh, there you go there's some uh, white mansplaining for me thanks gentlemen greatly appreciate it and and good luck please stay in touch
Take care. Thank you. Okay, a quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report in our remaining minutes. Please don't go away. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Yep. Melting for Desi Doyen here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Boy, is is there no one and nothing that Donald Trump is not willing to go after at this point, Des, in his quest to make America great again? I think there is nothing that he will (laughs) not destroy, given the opportunity. That said, we've got some encouraging news, a tiny little sliver uh, concerning uh, good news concerning public lands in today's Green News report. So... Let's get to it. He will not be making an announcement regarding that agreement until after he returns from the G7. Temporary reprieve for the planet. Trump postpones decision on Paris climate agreement. If the wind were to pick up, that could circulate air down in that tunnel and release uh, radioactive particles into the air. Emergency declared at the most contaminated nuclear site in the nation. Majority of toxic Superfund sites located near low-income areas, plus... A win for taxpayers and the climate, as Republicans fail to repeal methane-flaring rule. All of those happy failures and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Comedians, what are some shows we might hear on Redneck NPR? Guy Branham. Wait, wait, don't tell me about climate change. Points, very good. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, another startling reminder this week that, uh, yeah, there is a downside to nuclear energy. (laughs) Yes, there is. The Department of Energy declared an emergency on Tuesday at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington state. That's 150 miles or so from Seattle after a section of a sealed tunnel caved in that contained rail cars contaminated with nuclear waste. Officials say no radiation was released and no workers were injured or exposed at the federal Superfund site, which for decades manufactured plutonium for nuclear weapons. In an interview with local news, Tom Carpenter of watchdog group Hanford Challenge said the incident again raises concerns over the safety of the decades-long cleanup effort. This is absolutely a huge warning uh, to Hanford, to the federal officials who oversee that site, and to the state of Washington. There are bad things at Hanford that could blow up, that could contaminate the communities, be a three-state disaster. 
And speaking of Superfund sites, there are about 1,400 abandoned, contaminated sites in the United States that are so polluted and so toxic that the federal government has assumed the cost and responsibility for cleaning them up. According to a new analysis from the Environmental Protection Agency, 70% of the country's most contaminated Superfund sites are located within a mile of low-income family housing. Mm. Bad news for marine life. Oxygen levels in the ocean are falling two to three times faster than predicted due to man-made global warming. Because warmer water can't hold as much dissolved oxygen as colder water, scientists predicted years ago that as oceans warm, the amount of oxygen in the oceans would drop, causing dead zones where marine life can't survive. Based on decades of ocean data, researchers at Georgia Tech conclude that dissolved oxygen in the ocean started dropping in the 1980s and appears to be unfolding about two to three times faster than previously predicted. Well, that's not good. No, it's not. But at least they're not living inside a nuclear waste dump, so there's that, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, the White House announced on Tuesday that President Trump will delay, again, a decision about whether to withdraw the United States from the historic United Nations Paris Climate Agreement signed by President Obama. On Tuesday, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said Trump will wait until after the G7 meeting in late May to decide. The president wants to continue to meet with his team, meet with not just the the national, the economic piece, but his environmental team and come to a decision on what's the best interest of the United States uh, using the expertise that surrounds him. And by expertise, of course, he means lobbyists, corporations, and uh, fossil fuel interests, I suppose. Yes, he does. And those industry trade groups are heavily lobbying Trump to withdraw. But major American corporations like Google and major investors that control trillions of dollars in assets are urging Trump to remain in the accord. U.N. Environment Chief Eric Solheim warned Trump last week that the U.S. will lose jobs if it pulls out because China, India, and Europe will snap up the best power sector jobs in the future. And even some companies like Exxon, yes, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's old company Exxon are encouraging him to stay in the agreement so that the U.S. has a seat at the table. Otherwise uh, the world is going to leave the U.S. behind. Finally, some good news. With a win for American taxpayers, Senate Republicans on Wednesday failed in their attempt to repeal an Obama-era regulation requiring the oil and gas industry to stop leaks and the flaring of harmful methane a potent greenhouse gas, from their operations on public lands. The industry lobbied heavily for repeal, but environmental groups said the rule was crucial to stop the industry from wasting the public's natural gas, costing taxpayers more than $300 million a year in lost royalties. That's enough to power about 5 million homes. Three Republican senators joined Democrats in narrowly defeating the repeal. And who were those Senate Republicans? John McCain of Arizona. What? Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. His buddy. And Susan Collins. Of Maine. Well, good for them. Glad they did the right thing for the moment, for one single vote. But I'll take it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide via the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And I think I got it right this time. <laughs> One time. <laughs>
One time hey, they get I'll it take right. It. I'll take it. Uh, I will too. Thank you, Desi Doy. And hey, you know what we're covering on our next thrilling episode of the broadcast? <laughs> what? I have no idea. Oh, goody. We'll find <laughs> out. My thanks to uh, Desiree Doyen, our producer, and to my guest today, Carlton Bawakahati and Matthew Campbell of the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. My thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and you can find me, follow me, and share us far and wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.